This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Elkshade Podcast number 14 with me, Dan, the fitness man, stating what's up. So today we're going to do Q&A. Let's get to it. Hello, I saw on the equipment page of your website, elkshape.com, that the one picture of your bow you have is the Quivalizer. I was wondering if you would give me your opinion on it versus other conventional stabilizers. I'm about to buy a new Hoyt Hyper Force and all the other option sites, stabilizers, quivers, kind of have my head spinning. I would really appreciate your advice. Thank you, David. <clears throat> Sorry about that, guys. I just got done doing uh, 18.3. That's a workout for the CrossFit Open. If you don't know what that is, it's a worldwide competition. And I'm uh, doing it again. I've done it every year. It's it's a fun way to kind of compare your scores with other people your age, in your state, in your country, in the world. There's a firefighter category. I'm not t- taking it serious this year like I have. I mean, years prior, you have usually like a four-day window to <clears throat> complete the workout. You have to film the workout and have a certified judge. So it's super legit, and you don't know what the workouts are, and it's five weeks long. And it's pretty fun that way. But um, this week was just a hell of a workout. Um, Really advanced technical movements. The first, it was a 14-minute AMRAP that stands for as many reps or rounds as possible. And I think it's actually four time, but I don't know if anyone will actually get it done for time. But it's two rounds of 100 double-unders. That's two rotations of a jump rope for one jump. And that's kind of a skill. And it's very taxing. And then right into 20 overhead squats at a buck 15 for dudes and 80 pounds for ladies, which for most CrossFitters, that's nothing. That's just something that you just can bust out. It does take a lot of shoulder mobility, and it's taken me years to get my shoulder mobility where it's at to do those. And then another 100 dubs, and then 12 ring muscle-ups, and then 100 dubs, and then 20 dumbbell snatches alternating with a 50-pound dumbbell for men and 35 for ladies, and then 100 dubs. And then 12 bar muscle ups. That's one round. And I think somebody will get the whole thing done. I sure as hell didn't. I got 600 and something reps. I got to the second round of muscle ups and got six. 
But my, I don't know how many double unders that is. I guess I could add it up, but I think it's like 600-ish double unders. So my calves are going to be wrecked, but it'll be good for getting your calves ready for hiking and hunting season coming up with bear season, which we're going to get into some bear questions, which is huge. I think a lot of people want to hear about bear hunting and um, I'll teach you everything I've learned and I'm still learning. There's a lot to know. All right, let's answer David's question. So Option Archery is owned by Dan Evans. Dan Evans sold his amazing company called Trophy Taker. They were makers of the Trophy Taker Smackdown Rest, which I still rock and use, and um, they sold that. I don't know to who, but most companies are getting bought out in the archery industry, which, you know, it's getting rid of the mom and pops. And then he also made the Shuttle T, which is uh, a broadhead that he bought from a guy in California. Um, and I think that guy's name was Butch. But anyways, he bought uh, Trophy Taker, bought Shuttle Tees years ago. And those were being made here in the States. And they were really good broadheads. That's what I rocked for years. And then when he sold that, I think whoever bought Trophy Taker is making those broadheads over in China. And you can tell. And a lot of us guys were like not happy, myself included, and switched. And so if I get a broadhead question, I'll answer what I'm shooting but for those that are wondering right now, I shoot currently a Grim Reaper broadhead. They're out of Utah. They haven't sold their company. And they are they were known for mechanicals or whatever, but they do make fixed. And they have a pro series. And it's like the Hades Micro 3 or 4 blade. I shoot both. The 3 blades I use at longer distances and the 4 blades I use for stuff like North Idaho elk where I'm going to get a real close shot or uh, whitetail hunting. And those are the sharpest broadheads I've ever handled. I've never cut my hand on a broadhead tightening until those literally cut my hands. And they're, sh they're just so razor sharp. And the four blade I put through the bull I killed in 2017 and the, the big mountain buck I shot. Both shots were 20 and 28 yards. Devastating pass-throughs um, on the, well, devastating pass-through on the whitetail. And then on the bull, I actually nicked a little bit of shoulder blade and shattered that and it Stopped the arrow's penetration a little bit, but I got both lungs and the bull piled up 70 yards. I saw him go down, which was great. And then the three blades, I shot a bear with a three blade, and I shot him at like 61, and uh, I shot an antelope at like 39. So a little bit different broadhead, but that's what I'm using now. So his question was about the Quivalizer, and I'm, go I'm getting into it, David, I promise. I did a Quivalizer for, gosh, a full season. And I noticed that I could shoot better at the range with it if it wasn't windy. Uh, so the Quivalizer doesn't go on, it can go on the side of your bow, but then you don't have a stabilizer sticking out the front. So you can attach it on the side of your bow <clears throat> like a normal quiver, quiver would go. And I went from tight spot to Quivalizer. And so you, you basically, when you're hunting, you put the Quivalizer uh, as a stabilizer slash quiver. And it's like it's much like uh, it's much like setting up your bow for a really long stabilizer, like the archery tournament guys use. And it's really it's pretty it's pretty good setup. I didn't like it in the wind, and I live in the valley, and it's always windy out here. So I always, if I couldn't shoot, and the first thing in the morning or first thing in the evening, I noticed that I was drifting a little bit with the wind, and it kind of acts like a wind sail. And the other thing I didn't really enjoy was I hunt very, very steep, brushy country in North Idaho. It's very similar to like probably Roosevelt hunting as far as the density of brush 
huckleberry brush and alders and it's just get tangled up and it was tough to navigate especially when you're trying to sneak in on a bull so i did that for a year uh i like the quiverizer for whitetail hunting i think that's cool because you're in a very fixed environment but it was just functionality for me personally it didn't work out and i told i told dan it wasn't working for me and and um after that year i you know probably go back to the tight spot and we're cool dan's a good friend of mine so i think it works for some people really well i think it will improve your accuracy i'm a little bit uh hesitant with the wind especially hunting out west especially like spot and stock so this year i'm using just a basic hoyt quiver made by hoyt and it's just i just figured it would fit it's a two-piece it weighs hardly nothing it's out of carbon it's legit and it holds six arrows and so that's what i'm going to use this year but as far as stabilizers go i do like a sidebar those are kind of popular again and so i like to offset that quiver but uh, that's what i'm rocking on my setup thanks for the question david okay question number two rupert medford he writes that he just found uh, you, the YouTube channel I have. It's Elk Shape YouTube. And he's watched several of the videos. Great stuff. I'm looking forward to being a first-time elk hunter this September. As a first-timer, I have a lot of homework to do. Gear to get, decisions to make. I've heard you say more than once, there is a learning curve with archery elk hunting. Could you share your top tips for crushing the curve? I know you're a fitness guy, so that'll play in. There are other disciplines involved in elk hunting too. Being wind-wise, knowing the area, being a ten ringer with a bow. What could a man do between now and September that would actually give him much better odds at going home heavy. Robert Medford from North Carolina. Well, one thing that sucks for you is that you're not going to do scouting. I don't think, at least, so you're not going to get boots on the ground before the season. So you're not going to intimately know your area or have fresh intel. So you're going to be kind of like trying to eliminate places when you get wherever you're going and uh, doing your best. And I understand that. So like you did say, yeah, maybe you can start going back to the same general area year after year and learn it a little bit more every time you go. And what are you learning is the terrain, the topography, and the elk behavior as well as the prevailing winds. And just, you know, elk don't do the same thing, but they'll do some things that are pretty common. They're going to probably bed on the north sides uh, where it's cold, cooler during the day, especially September if it's hot, and they're going to... They're going to get water every 24 hours and there's going to be places where they're going to want to bugle at night and rut at night and there's going to be places where the feed is good and stuff like that. So obviously for the learning curve for me, it was one of the one of the things that I made the, the most mistakes on was the wind. I, I don't think I ever truly appreciated an elk's nose and, and the fact that you really can't roll the dice when it comes to getting in close to an elk. You better circle big to get the wind right. We talked about that on one of my podcasts with Corey Jacobson. It's like, it's not even, like, there is no gray area. You just have to make sure that your move is black and white. The wind is not going to go to that bull's nose. Uh, you should learn how to call as much as possible. Practice your calls now. Put the reeds in your truck and learn how to use a diaphragm right away. That'll be to your advantage. Keep a diaphragm in your mouth at all times. You could go from zero to hero and get into a bull in two seconds. And a lot of times you need to stop a bull in your shooting lane. So you need to get your bow pulled back before they see you and then have that diaphragm in your mouth ready to make a call and stop the elk. You want to shoot the elk when they stop. You don't want to take a walking shot. Wounding elk is another thing that I think a lot of people will do. And elk are tough. You're going to have to place a really good shot. And that kind of comes with knowing your effective range and practicing 
shooting under duress with a high heart rate. So burpees and hiking with the backpack on and shooting and doing as many 3Ds and getting those angles because you're going to not have time to range sometimes. So you better be good at judging distances as well as knowing your cuts as far as the angle that you have and making sure that you know how to shoot your bow, that it has uh, at least that you've taken some steep shots and hopefully your third axis on your site is dialed. And if you, some people don't believe in that, but that stuff's really important. Find a good archery shop that can get your bow tuned, really super tuned. Buy the most expensive, well-made string material you can so you don't get any string stretch so that your bow stays tuned longer. Check your cam lean and your cam timing before you depart. If you're traveling or flying with a bow, make sure you understand that uh, you're going to have to shoot your bow when you get to camp. And I like if you're not hunting out of a backpack, you probably want to shoot your bow every day after hiking with it just to make sure it's on. And and if you're in steep, brushy country like where I hunt, it can get bumped really easy, especially because I put my bow in my backpack and ride a dirt bike in single track trails a lot of times or whatever. So in a backcountry, it's kind of hard to do, but maybe have um, a judo point or a field tip that you can, if you're hunting out of a backpack, that you can at least check to make sure everything's on. The last thing you want to do is get that one shot opportunity and your bow's off because you bumped it or something. That does happen. Backpacking hunting is huge, so be in shape to be able to do some overnight backpacking. That'll give you a huge advantage to sleep on the elk and to be near them and to not save energy and, and to put yourself in better positions. Uh, the learning curve is knowing how to hike in the mountains. You're not going to go straight down a mountain, up the other side, straight down a mountain. You want to know the elk trails. You want Elk don't travel straight down. They take lateral trails, gradual you know, changes in topography, they take good angled side, you know, side hill trails. And so not killing yourself by going down, up, down, up, down, up. De- learning your area, where to glass, where it's effective, to listen for bugles. And then knowing all your areas that you want to bugle off into uh, to find elk or locate elk. And be in great shape or as good a shape as you can get yourself into. Have the good as nutrition that you can make for yourself. And all that kind of stuff will really help speed up the learning curve. Um, avoid you know, getting winded by bulls and avoid missing shots, stupid shots, or taking a stupid shot and uh, cut your teeth on calling elk. And if you're going solo, learn how to call solo. Watch some of my videos on elk shape where I talk about how to call solo because you you have to be able to do both, call and then move up so the elk are coming to where you called, not standing where you call. The bull's going to, you know, get hung up at 70 or 80 yards out and you're not going to get a shot so those are just some basic things that come to mind but just experience and know that it is a process and accept that and enjoy the process so great question all right this next question is from ryan miller Uh, he's from washington state and he lives over by tacoma and i'm trying to find his question he says He's looking to find a better open area in eastern Washington for deer and elk. Maybe start pinpointing some spots in Idaho for elk, out-of-state tag. I also wouldn't mind trying to get a spring bear tag for Idaho to get out there and start learning the area this year. So any suggestions on places to go both in Washington and Idaho would be awesome and greatly appreciated. So, yeah, we can tell you where to go, Ryan. I'll just give you my spots right now. Um, eastern Washington, I don't hunt for elk unless it's late season and... That's just because it coincides with deer hunting. You can bait in Washington. So I generally hunt in the mountains for whitetail. I haul in alfalfa and corn. And 
I go way back in there where it is almost kind of insane or ridiculous how far I'm hiking in feed regularly. Uh, and I still haven't killed an elk over a bait pile. It's never really worked out for me. I've had elk come in on camera, but it's just I'm not either in the tree or they come in at night. And um, for September, I've never really been a huge fan of Washington State's archery seasons. They're generally 10 to 14 days, and there's the elk densities aren't great on public land. And the elk that are here, we have quite a few. They're mostly private. And in eastern Washington, a lot of our elk live in Cheney, uh, that area, and then up north on the Idaho border, up by Priest Lake. Uh, you can even get up into the Selkirk area, and there's elk in there, but they're just pockets. I haven't dedicated the time, so if you have the time, I would do some scouting and find some old rubs, find some elk sign, find where these elk are summering, and they won't rut too far from there. As far as Idaho goes, there's way better elk densities, but you're going to contend with you know, a lot more wolves and bears and cougars, so you're going to have to find pockets as well. I, I hunt Idaho. It, as, that's always my backup plan if I don't draw any good tags is to go to North Idaho because I can get into elk every year no matter what. There's enough elk to get into. So for those that are out of state, your license is uh, 150 to 160 bucks for the license and your tags, I think, 416 You can buy a second tag, which I usually do uh, for, I think, $350 more, somewhere in there. But... Um, Eastern Washington's got a ton of whitetail, so the deer hunting's good everywhere you go. I would look at a lot of guys hunt up there in Ferry County for those big mountain bucks. Um, the deer densities aren't super great, but it's a, it's a good area. Um, Springdale, Springdale, Washington is deer whitetail central. Lots of public land there. And then for elk, uh, the 49 degrees unit's got elk. You just need to go put the time in. I, I'm not going to waste my time hunting Washington. I think it's kind of a, a learning curve thing for me where I don't really want to waste any valuable time hunting elk for such a short season when I could be over in Idaho hunting damn near 30 days and probably killing two elk if I find two that I want to kill. So that's what I do. But yeah, I just listed out some good areas to check out. So get ready to do some backpack hunting, get away from the roads in the 49 area, as well as the Selkirks hunt close to the Idaho border over there by Priest Lake. There's definitely elk in there. I have friends that have killed elk in there. And then if you can knock on doors and get locked down on some private, anything near Turnbull Refuge out of Cheney or anywhere in Cheney on uh, private has got elk. Uh, and that would take a lot of research. But with you living over there, you're going to have to plan on doing some bonsai weekend trips over here, Ryan. So Washington State, it can be done for sure. There's a lot of elk over where, where you're at too on the west side. Just remember you have to either get a multi-season tag to hunt both sides of the state or you have to choose east or west and then you have to choose uh, your weapon. Washington's, uh, that's their rules. So good luck, man. Let me know how you do. This one's from Andrew Warboys. And he says that he's been looking to find a good workout program for bow hunting. He's from the East Coast, so most of his hunts are from tree stands or ground blinds. He's looking at doing a Western hunt next year, and he wants to be physically prepared for it, point him out in the right direction. Andrew, great question. I think you should probably do a little bit of everything, little cross-training type program where you're running, you're hiking with a backpack on, you're shooting with a backpack on, you're doing some functional fitness, CrossFit-ish type movements that are compound movements, no isolation, 
no beach muscle emphasis. We're not worried about big pecs or big biceps. We're worried about strong, powerful legs, strong core, strong back, and really emphasize movements that involve the legs. I like the basic movements that I like are obviously back squats and front squats and deadlifts, thrusters, strip press, push press, push jerk. I like the Olympic lifts, the clean and jerk snatch. And then I like to do all those under duress with other movements and gymnastics. Um, If you want to check out workouts that I do, I post once a week, every week, the workouts that I did the week prior. It's a way to hold myself accountable and You may need to Google some of my terminology to figure out what it is I just did, but I think if you're smart and use the internet, you can figure out what I'm doing. I put my times down, my weights. You can see what I'm doing and check that out. That's free. I also have 21 Days to Elk Shape program that I wrote. That's for sale. That's on my website, and that's a 21-day interactive PDF with video supported, and I do all the workouts with you, and I show you what I'm looking for, and that doesn't require much equipment. It requires dumbbells, sandbag a block target or a box to step on your backpack and if you can get a hold of a barbell that'd be great with some weights but really whatever you have you can make work for that program and I think it's legit and I'm looking for more and more people to do it and give me some feedback so those are some ideas for you thanks for the question all right this one's from Tyson Rob he says he loves the podcast he wants to know how my arrow setup has evolved over the years what changes have you made to your front weight, broadhead, shaft weight throughout the years? You mentioned that you use a four blade for close distances and a three blade for further distances. Do you keep both versions in your quiver while you hunt? And lastly, he said he's maxed out on distance with his slider on his sight. And are you against having a couple of lighter weight arrows to have for longer shots? Yes, I am, Tyson. I think you should stick with the same setup and figure out your max effective distance with that setup majority of the animals I've killed in 15 years of uh, bow hunting is been with a full metal jacket from Easton Archery. I use a five millimeter. It's like my draw length's 27, so my arrow's usually just over 26 inches. I always like to put a little more weight up front so I don't use the inserts that come with the FMJs. And it's not an outsert, it's an insert. And I use a 50 to 75 grain brass insert. I usually break off 25. So I snap that off and have 50 grain brass up front. I like a traditional uh, three fletch on the back with a little bit of an arrow wrap. I usually don't do a major offset, like a three degree offset is what's worked best for me. And then I only put the same broadheads, the same arrows in my quiver when I'm hunting. I don't have time to think about oh, what arrow is what in the heat of the moment. I, uh, when I'm deer hunting, I'm usually in a tree stand or ground blind, so I usually have the four blade. So my, my quiver's full of four blades, and I already talked about that. It's a pro series from Grim Reaper, Hunter Grain, four blade. On longer distances, like if I'm going out mule deer hunting or if I'm going antelope hunting, then my quiver is full of three blade. And I could just stick with, if I had to choose, I would just choose the three blade. But I like to get a big hole in animals, especially on big animals like elk. And for whitetail, I want a huge hole as well. And we can use mechanicals in Washington. I just, uh, if you didn't know, Dan is not a huge fan of mechanicals. I think they will eventually fail you. I think it's a little bit of a low road. It doesn't take nearly the tuning that is required to be diligent in the mountains and eliminate Murphy's Law, which is everything that 
can go wrong, will go wrong. So you, you're going to want to have your bow super tuned. Find a good archery shop that can, can constantly double check. I've mentioned this before. Your cam lean, your timing, all that. Make sure that everything's dialed and that you're using really good strings. And so your bow is dialed and shoot through paper and shoot through paper and just make sure everything looks good before you head out in the mountains. And if your slider maxes out at 50, then you have a pretty heavy arrow and that's okay. Then that's what your max distance is. And if you can't get closer than 50, try harder and don't take any Hail Mary shots and stay within your ethical, what you believe to be is your effective distance. So, but yeah, man, I like to fletch my own arrows. I like to cut my own arrows. I like to clean my own arrows. I just love that whole process. I weigh each arrow. I'm, you know, I mark each arrow with a number, how much it weighs. I like to index each arrow and shoot them all and see how they group with broadheads at different distances. And if I can't get a certain broad and certain arrow with a broadhead to tune, I'll twist the knock a quarter turn. I mean, I'll try everything to get my arrows all matched up. And I go, just, just so people know, I usually order four dozen arrows a year. And I usually do that every year. So I'm obviously going through 48 arrows to get the best 12 for and that's just kind of what I've learned to do each year is you're never gonna have enough arrows so that answers that next question this is from Jacob and he says what season spring or fall is best to hunt bears looking at cape versus meat or in my case I want both I've always been told to hunt spring for the cape and fall for the meat any differences so yeah I do I think I think bears get pretty fat in the fall and their coats, you know, a lot of bears will rub in the spring pretty quick. So you have a very short window to get a good cape, in my opinion. And this is just where I've hunted bears. Um, some bears don't rub, though, too much. and But most do eventually rub. But it does grow back. And in the fall, they're usually pretty dialed with a good coat. So uh, spring bears taste fine. Fall bears taste fine. I think early summer bears where I hunt are the best tasting bears because they've been eating huckleberries for two months. So I do think a fall bear will taste a little bit better. There's going to be a lot more fat that you can render down as well if you like to render your own fat. So if I were to, if I'm looking for my freezer, I'm probably looking for more of a fall bear. Uh, a spring bear is fine too, though. They're just pretty much eating grass and they're pretty lean because of winter, especially the winter we're having this year is legit. And so I like spring bears. I like to get all my bear killing out of the way in the spring. I can kill two bears where I hunt and I usually do. I usually kill one spot and stock, and then I try to kill one, and I'll get into bears in a little bit, but I'll usually kill the other one over bait of some sort, whether it be a ground and pound setup or a tree stand, and I'll get into those differences, so that should help answer that. He says, best backcountry charger for cell phones, headlamps, are solo chargers worth buying? You know, my buddy Ryan Lampers and I were on a Nevada hunt, and he, he was doing pretty good on his, uh, I'm not sure of the brand of his setup, but he was... He was getting some pretty good charge action for his inReach and his cell phone off of solar power. Uh, I have the Poseidon from Dark Energy, and I have nothing but good things to say about that. It's pretty bulletproof. I think it's waterproof, and I've been getting like at least two charges, uh, full charges on my cell phone. Yeah, I would say Dark Energy, Poseidon, I'm not sponsored by them. I just think it's a good product. Yeah, follow them on Instagram and learn more about what they got going on. His last question is, Chronic waste and disease, or TB, do you test every animal you take? Answer, not at all. If so, do you eat them if positive for either? So, NA, not applicable. I don't, you know, 
chronic wasting disease is something that we don't really face a lot where I hunt, and it's never crossed my mind. The only thing that I've wondered about is this, like, hoof rot thing that we got going on on the west side of the state where a lot of our elk have this, and deer are getting these funky feet, and I don't know if they figured it out, if the biologists found out they're eating something wrong or if they're just all inbred. I don't know the deal, but CWD is something that I definitely haven't really had a huge issue. I mean, we've had a little bit of blue tongue come through on the white tail, but uh, nothing really, so... Yeah, his last question he says is, do you have any more of the elk-shaped shirts? So we sold those out, and I just ordered more. And there's, I think they'll sell out because I didn't order that many. But they're going to be Under Armour shirts with, uh, I had a local artist sketch kind of some ideas I had for a shirt. And he made it into basically vector art, and we got it printed on a shirt. And those are coming off the presses. Uh, so check it out. Check the website, elkshape.com, a store. Those will sell out, and then I'll have to do another run, so be early and get those. So thanks for the questions. Good luck on your bear hunting. This question's from Owen, and Owen has several questions, so we're going to get into it. He said, I'm about to graduate college. I want to hear some financial advice from someone other than my parents. Both parents are doctors, and I'm not cut out for med school. So their advice is good, but I want someone whose finances account for family and hunting. Well, you're talking to the right guy. Um, He says, I want to go spot and stock black bears in North Carolina to try to do a Western-style hunt in the state that is dominated by dog hunters. Also, our NC bear season is in the fall, so I wondered how hunting mountain black bears here could be different from spring out west. I mean, dude, I don't know. I can't answer that question. I've never hunted North Carolina I don't know what I I know there's mountains and I know those bears don't hibernate as long and I know they get bigger because they just have better weather but I don't honestly I don't know when I'm I'm hunting high alpine tree line bears are up high in the mountains and I can glass for them and if bears just stay in the timber I don't really know how you're going to spot and stalk them unless you find like a sweet little magic road where it's been logged before and now grass is growing on it in the spring and it sounds like you're hunting in the fall. So I don't really have a lot of suggestions for you. I don't know if you guys can bait. Uh, I, maybe you can since you are able to run dogs, but I mean, if you can find a bear trail, I guess that would, I mean, you're going to have to look for bear sign, but it's got to be, I mean, uh, bears like watering holes. Um, they will go to some of the same places to get drinks of water. That's probably legal to hunt over, I would assume, but I really don't know how to answer your question, North Carolina. I'm so sorry, man. If I knew, I would tell you, but uh, if you find out, hit me up, let me know. As far as financial advice goes, uh, your parents are both doctors. That's kind of cool. They probably can afford to pay for your college, so you should be at least graduating without any debt. That's a good place to start. The worst thing is to go to school for four years and get a hundred grand of debt and not even know what you want to be when you really grow up. Plus, you got an education, and I don't know how applicable it is to to what you're looking to accomplish but I mean I would look at just you know delayed gratification when it comes to finances you know always sleep on any buying decision that's significant for at least 48 hours that way you can kind of reevaluate make sure you're not emotionally involved with like a decision like if you want to buy a truck and it sparkles and it's cool and you can see yourself in it sleep on it for 24 to 48 hours before you buy it and ideally pay cash for vehicles drive a junky car until you can save up enough money to buy a nicer car. But try to pay cash. Don't have truck payments and stuff like that. That stuff really eats you alive. Uh, credit cards aren't really a great idea. And I don't think they're super necessary. Look into Dave Ramsey a little bit. He's got a cool envelope system. 
Connor. He's from North, North Dakota, and he loves the YouTube and the podcast channels. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I'll take all the support I can get. He said he just bought a Hoyt Pro Defiant set up for 65 to 70 pounds, and he's an avid hunter. He's just now getting into archery. He was just curious as to what size arrows you would suggest I shoot. I know I want to shoot the Easton FMJs, but don't know what spine to shoot or the 5mm or 6mm size. So he's going to hunt deer and elk. Um, you know, dude, I don't really know off the top of my head because he didn't really say your draw length. I think that plays an important part in arrow selection. But I'm guessing you're probably somewhere between a 340 spine and a 400. And you'll just have to look at your charts on the back of your box at FMJs and line up your draw length and the poundage of your bow and you should be able to kind of figure it out and then yeah go from there so I definitely like the five millimeter size that's kind of their traditional size I've had really good success with that I've never gone with really anything smaller than that diameter speaking and you know you can look at the deep impact but that's going to limit your broadhead selection for the most part so I would go with the 5mm your probably 400 spine would be fine but Double check the back of the box or talk to your archery shop and just double check that you're not 340. And and if you're like some 32-inch draw length guy, you're going to have to go down in spine from there even. So just, you know, that'll be an easy thing to find out. Thanks for the question. Cody Peterson wants to know about dirt bike hunting. He's watched a lot of the videos, and I've inspired him to get a dirt bike for use of hunting. He bought a 2003 Yamaha WR250F. He plans on putting a cycle rack on the back to haul meat and gear. That's a definite must. Um, he's diving into this head first, but think it'll be a real game changer. I know it will, Cody, for sure. Um, what's your question? Please give me some tips on how to hunt with a dirt bike. Thank you so much. And uh, Cody, all right, here's some things to think about. So I like a Yamaha as well. I like a heavier, four-strokey, air-cooled type bike that's just bulletproof. I've gone through a lot of dirt bikes in my process trying to figure out which one. I like electric start. I hope your bike, I think your bike does, hopefully you have electric start because you are going to make a mistake on some steep single track and you don't want to be kicking a bike to get it started in the dark with a backpack on and you can't really see well. The first thing I would tell you is <clears throat> wear a helmet, which is something I haven't done a very good job until I became a dad. Now I'm starting to wear a helmet. It's going to keep you warmer in the cold mornings anyways. Plus last year, this is no joke. I didn't wear a helmet and I was riding up a steep single track and there was a stick that caught me right in the lip and about took my lips off. I had a fat lip. I was bleeding blood all over the place and I had to have a fat lip for like three or four days and that could have been my eye if I had a helmet on and none of that would have happened. So this is Mr. Hypocrite talking, wear a helmet and, um, you know, practice. You need to learn how to ride real well with a backpack on. And riding with a dirt bike and a bow on your back, it can get really gnarly where I'm at, like really gnarly. And there are going to be some wiping out, some tip overs and stuff like that. So I would have somewhere at your base camp a block target to shoot every night when you get back. I always get back in the dark, so I just turn the headlights on my truck and shoot 20, 30, 40 real quick, make sure everything's on. Um, and that's just a discipline thing that I have to do because the last thing I want is to miss or wound a bull because I didn't double check my setup. So you do, I think you have a higher probability of bumping your setup when you're riding a dirt bike and your bow's on your back. Um, if you can get your bow in a bow case and on the back of your dirt bike, great. I haven't figured out a system quite for that yet, but 
Um, as far as um, just riding ability and whatnot, man, give yourself plenty of time so you're not rushing to get to your spots. And uh, be careful, especially in the backcountry, man. You could really get yourself hurt. So it would probably be good to hunt with somebody, although, again, I don't do that very often. So have a way to reach out if you are hurt or break an ankle or your bike breaks down way back there. Maybe have a DeLorme in reach or some sort of spot system where you can get a message out to get help. And um, I don't know, just watch out for brush and steep, steep uh, brush can really do a number on your bow. What I mean by that is it gets real like in some tight switchbacks or some single track that's got brush overgrowing, it's gonna hit your bow when you're riding. And I've had my dad's, I've seen my dad's strings get yanked off the cam while riding. And it was a funny story because we finally got to where we were getting and it was a real shit ride getting there. Um, and it was about an hour of riding single track and my dad's not a great dirt bike rider and he's not going to say he is either. He's just, he's just kind of cautious and kind of scared the whole time, which sucks. So, um, we finally got there, we got off and, uh, I told him I was going to call for him that day and, uh, he gets off his bike and he's all, you know, he, we're getting ready to head out. And I'm like, well, it looks like you're calling for me today. He's like, wait a sec, you said you were going to call for me today. I'm like, well, look at your bow. And he pulls his backpack around and sees that his strings are dangling off the cam. So uh, he actually didn't call for me. He got back on his bike and rode all the way back to the truck and drove all the way to town to get basically new strings for his bow. So there's some basic things to think about for sure. Make sure you got a damn good headlamp on your on your bike and I always do a bunch of maintenance on my bike before season I go through it with a fine tooth comb and tighten every little bolt down change the oil check all my fluids check you know I usually buy new new rubber for the bike every year front and back don't ride a bike with bad rubber on the back or the front because you're going to be falling over a lot but you know a bike is just a machine it's a piece of equipment there there's going to be some failure so get a new battery every year and just make sure that that thing is dialed and ready to go my bike gets a ton of exercise in the bear hunting season and in the elk hunting season and i love hunting off a dirt bike i can go places that a four-wheeler can't go i can save a lot of energy and i ride something like a four-stroke a very quiet old school air-cooled dirt bike that is awesome and I have hauled out basically up to a half an elk on that thing at a time so yeah I, I would recommend don't buy something super fancy I had a KTM at one point and uh, it just was too fancy of a bike it was a two-stroke it's just too loud it definitely was not built to take the heavy pack outs that my bike can so good man good luck find some places that you can hunt off a dirt bike Idaho's got a ton Montana does I think Utah does and so yeah should be good. Just a few more questions. We'll wrap this up, guys. This one is from Alan, and he wants to know, he says he's 49 and been doing CrossFit for 10 months in preparation for the 2018 elk season. He goes to the box, a.k.a. the gym, three days a week. He's working up to the RX level with no scaling, so he's doing a lot of workouts as prescribed. And that's the beauty of CrossFit, by the way, folks, is you can do all the workouts regardless of your fitness level. So we as coaches at CrossFit make sure that the workouts don't differ by kind. They only differ by degree. So we could have a grandma working out next to a Navy SEAL, and they could be doing the same exact workout, just tweaked to where they're at fitness-wise. 
He says he also runs two days a week for cardio. What tips can you give me for being physically prepared for September? Alan, nothing. You're doing it good, man. I just want to make sure that maybe take one of those running days off and put a heavy backpack on and get some elevation. If you live out west, there's there's no substitute for some backpack cardio days. Do some intervals. Shoot with your backpack on. you got to have the backpack on your back every week. It's just a part of you when you're elk hunting. So that's the only chink in your armor right now is you're doing some great cross training through CrossFit. You're getting that strength and conditioning all in one. You're doing some running, so you're getting some good impact on your ankles, knees, hips. And running's awesome. Hopefully you can do that in the mountains and then do some backpack hiking, some hard rucks where you're going at a good clip and you're not stopping. And I think that'll be huge. What else did he ask? What are some of the fundamentals for him to focus on when he comes to um, elk hunting in Idaho? He says he backpacks into this wilderness area for two to three nights. He's killed a lot of deer, but no elk yet. You know, I think you're doing good, man, especially if you're hunting out of a backpack. I think that's going to give you a huge advantage. I think if you can go to two to four days uh, off a backpack, you're going to get away from people. And you're going to find some elk that want to play ball. And you're just going to keep learning to not make the same mistakes. And every year, you're just going to be a little bit better, a little bit wiser, make the right call. I think there's a lot you can do as far as practicing your calling and your shooting. Make sure you're proficient with your weapon, proficient with your body, that you have the solid nutrition lined up, and that you're experienced at backpacking. Uh, you know, invest in as much gear as possible that's lighter and durable so you can stay and enjoy your time in the mountains and give yourself plenty of time to get it done. I try to hunt all of September. Not everybody can do that, but the more time that you can be in the mountains, the better. And I, I really don't think a five-day or a six-day hunt is going to up your odds as much as a 14-day hunt. So just give yourself more time. But I'm really proud of you, man. Thanks for the email. Appreciate it. This one's from Ryan Sullivan. Gosh, what is his question for me? His question is, since he snapped his leg and tore his meniscus all at once, is CrossFit still an option for him? He was working out several months before his injury. CrossFit looks like the way to go for public local public land elk hunters, especially down here in southeast Washington. Um, Just want to know if it's a good idea for me or if it will lead to more injuries down the road. So, Ryan, I think that CrossFit could be a good idea for you as well. I think you need to find a good coach. So there's like 14,000 CrossFits in the world. Not all those coaches are created equal. So find a coach who's got the qualifications, but more importantly than what they know, hopefully you know that they care about you and that they can work around your injury and slowly add a little bit more stress and stimulus to your workouts to where you're benefiting and you're coming back stronger every time where you're getting a dividend from the specific exercise stress and that it's intelligent that you're doing your due diligence on your off days, you're working on your mobility, you're stretching, your yoga, whatever you want to do to help lengthen and create more mobility and flexibility. And I think that CrossFit would be a great way to build the bone density and the structural strength of your soft tissue. It's a, it's a win-win, but I think it needs to be backfilled or at least complemented with some, you know, intentional mobility work, stretching and working through some different range of motions and some unilateral work. So not just doing compound movements, but you probably need to address that weaker leg doing, working on whatever type of pistol, single leg squat, single leg, single arm presses, one-arm kettlebell swings and presses, working both sides of the body and trying to balance that out and not have a dominant side, that's going to be huge for you. But yes, I think CrossFit would be a great way for you to overcome this injury and it's going to make you tough, tougher mentally. And that's a huge leg up on everybody. If you've been through 
really shitty workouts all year and you've pushed through the pain cave, what's another hour hike or what's another thousand feet? You won't give up as easily. You have more mental toughness is every time you don't quit, you've gotten yourself more mentally tougher. And every time you do a crossfit workout, you have an opportunity to quit. I hope you guys are listening to that because that's huge. So every day that you do something in the name of discipline, in the name of better elk hunting, you're making yourself better at not quitting. And the better you are at not quitting, the better hunter you're going to be because you are going to be tempted to sleep in on day six when your sleeping bag is warm and cozy and it's dark and you feel like you just laid your head down and now your alarm's going off or you've been chasing this bull over and over ridges and finally you think he's stopped but he's across the canyon and you don't know if you have enough muster enough gas in your tank to get over there and and you know you don't want to squander any opportunity have any regrets so i think anything you can do that makes yourself mentally stronger that works your whole body and you're with a good coach that cares about you it's going to be good and that doesn't have to be crossfit it could be something else so check that out all right last question i saved it because it is about spring bear and i know that you guys want to get into spring bear we've had a lot of people hit me up to do a podcast on spring bear this question is from Levi. He lives in Boise. And last year was his first year bear hunting, and he did it with a bow. He said he got out a first couple of days of spring bear season, not too far from Boise, Idaho. Um, he found a little basin after doing a lot of searching on the snow levels that uh, this basin had some cover and some grass, and he set a bear bait on a ridge that was obviously well-trafficked. Um, he said the bear, the bear sign was really thick and it also had good elk sign. He put a camera up and took it off for a week and came back a week later and the bait was cleaned out. His camera card was full and he had about a dozen bears on there and he, he actually attached a couple pictures and there's really, really good bears. I'm talking um, huge broad shoulders, barrel chested, big back end, little ears, you know, eyeballs are just far apart. It's a big head. That's everything you want for a bear. What is his question? His question is, okay, so he's basically his question is he keeps on baiting this bait site, but none of the big bears will show up during daylight hours. And he's kind of bummed about that. And he says they would be there all night, and then by 6 or 7 in the morning, they were gone. So, yeah, dude, welcome to smart bears in Idaho who have survived many a season. Bears get old, guys. Uh, really old. Like you think a four and a half, five and a half year old whitetail is a super old deer. That is a baby bear. Bears can get up into their 20s and 30s. Bears can get really old and the big and smart ones have discovered bait sites are really awesome at night because they don't die when they go there. So that's something to think about is, and this is, I guess, where we're going to just kind of, I'll give you, this is I guess this is the crescendo of the podcast is I'm going to tell you about what I've been doing for bears the last few years. It's really worked out for me. So I don't like the fact that most big bears I ever get on trail camera, I don't kill because they come in at night. They're pretty nocturnal. And what I really believe is happening is that when you're in the tree stand, no matter which way the wind's blowing or you have the thermals in your favor, big bears make big circles and they have noses that are better than whitetails better than a bloodhound bears are they have the old factories working strong for them and that's how they make their living and they will eventually circle or lay down or the wind will eventually flicker towards their direction and they'll know if you're in the tree stand or not and it's a super easy decision for them wait for the stinky human to get down and then go feast yourself and it works out pretty well so what i would suggest if you are going to bait bears 
and it's legal to bait in Idaho, um, is, and it's not legal to bait in Montana or Washington or Oregon, I believe, is set up a bait, remote bait site that you can get, hopefully, a dirt bike or a four-wheeler to so you can load lots of bait, but it's still a pain in the ass to get to. That way you'll, you don't have people riding their four-wheeler up to your bait site. But start baiting early and get a camera on there and get it in a place where you can see four or 500 yards away if a bear is indeed on your bait site. And hopefully, the reason why I had you do it on a four-wheeler is because there'll be like some sort of old skid or cut road that gets to that bait site. And if you can find a place where you can stare across a canyon... Uh, with the last 30 minutes of daylight and you can see a big old pumpkin head come out of the dark timber so obviously you want it near cover they'll be on your bait and you have 30 minutes to get over there not spot and stock because it's baiting but I call it ground and pound where you set up a bait site close to cover where you have four or five hundred yards where you can stay keep your wind out of there and you can watch it the last 30 to 45 minutes of daylight you'll have a bear come out because they didn't smell you because you're not in a tree right above the bait and then it's your job to get over there quietly and get yourself a 20, 30, 40, 50 yard shot. The closer the better on bears, um, hit them right behind the shoulder or just a little bit further behind the shoulder than you would on a deer. Don't hit their shoulder. Their, their shoulders are really dense, full of muscle. And study a bear anatomy chart for sure. Some bear outfitters will tell you to aim for the middle of the middle. And a lot of bear outfitters will not put their hunters any higher than 10 feet because they want not much, ang- not much angle at all for your arrow to go through the bear. So I think that would actually work if you are going to sit in a tree stand to go only go about 10 yards, I'm sorry, 10 feet off the ground, which is kind of risky. So maybe you're going to do a 30-yard shot to give yourself just a little more room to not get picked off and then aim for the middle of the middle of the bear. That angle would be really good, really effective. You'd be surprised how fast the bears die or aims just slightly closer to the shoulder of the middle to middle, if that makes sense. But going 25, 30 feet up in the air will maybe keep your wind out of the bear, but that's not a great angle for a bear. Um, So I think that's something to think about. But back to my ground and pound scenario, that's worked really well for me. I've killed a lot of bears that way where I'll just give you a day in the life of Dan bear hunting is I'll get up. um, And by the way, I've killed a bear at 5.45 a.m. So A lot of bears, hunters, don't hunt the early morning, and that's a mistake. So the first thing I'll do is I'll get my four-wheeler loaded up with four or five buckets of donuts and pastries and bread soaked in restaurant grease, okay? And where I get that is just discounted bread stores. I'll pay five bucks for a shopping cart full of expired product, and then I'll fill that expired product up with free restaurant grease. Make sure you talk to the owner and... Let it, all those pastries soak up that amazing grease. And then, so I got three or four buckets, and I get them on my four-wheeler, and I leave my hunting camp at the dark, and I come up to that first spot where I can come around a corner, per se, and shut the four-wheeler off, get out, walk around the corner, and look back in the canyon four or 500 yards away, and just see if there's a bear on my bait. And I can probably bust out the spotting scope to see if it's something I want to go shoot. And I can make a stock at 5.30 in the morning, which I've done, and shoot a really big bear. I've done that. It works. If there's no bears on there or just small bears, then I can ride my four-wheeler all the way up to the bait site, dump all the food, cover back up in the barrel or the logs or whatever you're going to use, pull the card on the camera, switch it out, 
wear gloves so you don't get your human sin all over the place, and then peace out. Go do spot and stock bear hunting for the rest of the day. I usually go find two or three different glassing or vantage points where I can glass a lot of country and just sit behind glass all day long or go to a few spots, bounce back and forth, and just set up on a spotter or binos on a tripod and glass for spot and stock opportunities. Usually on a good day, I'll get at least one or two stocks. And bears a lot of times don't sit still, so you may find a bear, but you just can't get to them in time. That's usually what happens is you're running out of time to get to them. Um, Finding bears isn't the problem, but getting to them before they head back into cover, that can be the challenge. But hopefully you maybe get a chance. Maybe you blow a stock. Maybe just you get over there and the bear's gone. That happens a lot. Um, But you can spend the whole day fruitfully looking for some sheds and some bears and some spot and stock opportunity. Then with the last hour, slowly make your way back to your bait site. Make sure that there's only about 30 minutes left of daylight and the winds have switched permanently. Then peek your head out, glass four or 500 yards away and see if there's a bear there. And then you can do your sneak over. So you want to make sure that the trail over to the bait site is something that's not loud and that you can haul ass on and get over there in a hurry. And I think the ground and pound method is awesome. The other way to go about it is to um, maybe do one or two really big bait sites and you go all in and you put one ton of pastries, bread, and you get it all covered up so the birds can't get it out. And it's a bait site that's, you put a tree stand in there and you just only check it from afar. You don't even go check your trail cam. You never put human scent there and you just you put out enough bait to last a month and you hunt that on the weekends and you, or during the week or whatever and you never actually put human scent anywhere near that bait site and so there's enough food to feed many many bears that's worked really well but that takes a lot of commitment you're talking about a really big setup you're talking about a lot of bait and you run the risk of your bait getting eaten by birds and a bunch of other stuff so there's always got to be a food source there stinky carp fish would work real well on a bait bait site like that get them hanging get some beaver hanging put a lot of food out get the stinkiest stuff you can and and just load it up with literally 2,000 pounds of bait and then um, basically wait until you know that you're ready to go kill a bear and then you can sneak in that way or go sit your tree stand and basically your best bet is that first sit so you're kind of you're not checking trail cameras regularly. You're kind of relying on... So that's a tougher way to go, but I think it's probably a better way to go if you're looking to kill legit big bears. But bears will eventually make a mistake, especially if your season gets closer and closer to that early June when bears start rutting. And so I want everyone to bear hunt because then you're hunting in the spring with broadheads. You're not practicing on 3D targets. You're actually hunting. You're keeping your hunting senses strong. You're always, you know, you're concerned about the wind. You're in the mountains. You're hiking with a backpack on. You might be picking up some sheds. You could be doing some elk scouting as well. And you're shooting at a big game animal. So if you have a choice between turkeys or bear, obviously, I I mean, bears. If you can do both, cool. But don't forget about bears. It's a great big game animal. Quickly, in Washington State, you have to draw for spring bear, which is absolutely ridiculous. Our bear numbers are stupid. I don't even know if California has a spring bear season. I know Oregon does. I'm pretty sure it's a draw. There might be some over-the-counter opportunities in Oregon. You have to double-check. Idaho's definitely got draws and a lot of over-the-counter. So does Montana. They have over-the-counter, and they don't have baiting allowed. Wyoming's got bears. 
So there are bears everywhere, and it's a fun animal. If you can afford it, go hire an outfitter and learn how, what their tips and tricks are up in Canada. You know, Canada's loaded. BC and Alberta are loaded in bears. Saskatchewan as well. I did that in 2007. I hired an outfitter and hunted the Clearwater. And um, I actually still know the outfitter to this day, but I learned so much from those guys. And it only took one week with them to learn their tips and tricks. And then I was a do-it-yourselfer. I didn't need to hire an outfitter, but I did learn from them and I don't regret doing that. So um, that should cover this podcast. We talked about bears. We answered some questions. Thanks for supporting this podcast. Give us a review on one of those things like iTunes or Podbean. Give it, you know, give us a share um, on social media and let people know about it. We're on Instagram at elk sh- shape. That's elk underscore shape. So at elk underscore shape and at Dan the Fitness Man. We have Facebook presence. Check out the website for workouts, for some swag, for some programs, coffee mug, decal, whatever. Thanks for supporting the podcast. I really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, keep training hard. Keep keep your head down. Discipline, delayed gratification. All this will pay off. And Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you on the next one.